Hey everybody, welcome to our Halloween episode, Solascarity House. Halloween is a special time here, maybe because we live in a big, scary Victorian-era house, maybe because we have so many cats, but maybe because Karl Marx, in addition to being a mediocre, drunken swordsman and a terrible poet, also liked to use scary monster and gothic horror metaphors. In chapter 10 of Capital, Marx says, Capital is dead labor. That vampire-like only lives by sucking living labor and lives the more, the more labor it sucks. The time during which the laborer works is the time during which the capitalist consumes the labor power he has purchased of him. And in the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels wrote that what the bourgeoisie therefore produces above all else is its own grave diggers. And not too many people know this, but Engels was the inspiration for Angus Scrimm's character, the tall man in the Phantasm movie series. That's not actually true, and I didn't write this. Anyway, the most important thing to remember as we head into maybe the scariest part of a really scary year is how people survive in slasher and haunted house movies. They survive by sticking together, and so should we. Happy Halloween, and let's stick together and slay those monsters. If you like this content and want to help keep it available for the public for free, please support us at patreon.com slash solidarity house. Uh, so talking to you about horror movies is the only cool thing that's going to happen to me today. All right. Good, good. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got uh, Chip Chisholm here. And uh, it's, uh, it is great to finally be talking to you. I've wanted to talk to you about horror movies uh, yes, sir. Months, and just by way of uh, what uh, uh, what I feel like uh, brings you to this discussion, you you've done Nightmare Theater on a local mm -hmm. station there. Yep. I grew yep. up with Nightmare Theater in Salt Lake City. Is it some kind of oh, syndicate, cool. syndicate or some mm -hmm. sort of thing where just every local uh, 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 jurisdiction has its own Nightmare Theater? Or? Well, uh, actually, we started this about 20 years ago. My 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 best friend and writing partner and I started it about 20 years ago, and we we didn't realize at the time that there were other shows called Nightmare Theater, and so we uh, just seemed like a good good name for a show, and we were on what was called back then least access, which meant uh, we we you know we had to pay to be on the air, so we would produce the show, and then we would make commercials for local businesses to get enough money to buy the airtime. I, you know, I, and I saw that, or when I was reading one of the stories about the, the history of the show, mm -hmm. I saw that you were selling your own ads, your own TV yep. ads yeah. early on. And I, I mean, I, that must have been uh, uh, re just a, uh, an incredible experience and probably sure. a, a shit ton mm -hmm. of work. Yes, it was. And back, back then it was very, you know, DIY. We had a, we had a Sony Handycam, which was a digital camera, you know, digital video camera. And there was a friend of ours owned a record store. So we would go in and shoot a little bit of audio, video rather, inside his record store. And then we would uh, cobble that into a commercial with music that we could get in the public domain or that nobody would care if we used as a soundtrack for the commercial. And we did it for several businesses and we made enough money. You know, they weren't, uh, these commercials weren't going to win any awards, but for, uh, but for two guys just doing it themselves, they looked pretty good. Having done a lot of that DIY stuff, I can tell you that the, like the one thing for me that I that kind of stands out as I you know after you do it for a while is I've learned a bunch of skills. Yes, yes, oh yeah, 
Well, in the, you probably saw, if you've uh, looked at the history, when we first started, we we put our cameras on a, a pile of books, literally that we didn't have. We couldn't afford a tripod, so we had our cameras piled up on a weight a weightlifting bench on a pile of books. And so when you have to do it yourself, you come up with creative ways to get the same effect. Matt quickly notes that his camera is currently on a pile of books in the there you go. of the house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Yes, it, sir. Exactly. Uh, you also did Frankenstein's Bloody Nightmare, which is available to buy. Can you want to tell yeah. us about that movie? Sure. Uh, we um, there's a bit of a backstory. We did a lot of public events at the little at our local uh, movie theater. We we would show movies. Some were in the public domain, some weren't, but we got away with showing them. And this guy just started showing up. We got to talking to him, and he was a filmmaker. His name was John R. Hand. And he was uh, he made a few movies of his own, and he was going to make a movie called Frankenstein's Bloody Nightmare. And he needed two guys to play the role of cops. So my friend nice. Mike and I nice. said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And so we did. A, we were in the movie for him. And then later, uh, in about 2006 or so, or 2004 or 2006, we, uh, Spike TV sent out a nationwide call asking other horror hosts to submit bits to be on Spike TV. And Mike and I wrote the bit and John filmed it for us. And we got selected to kick off a nationwide campaign on Spike TV. Incredibly was pretty sweet. good. Yeah, it was nice. And so That's John Arhan, he's a good, uh, he's, it's not the best movie you'll ever see, but for a guy... Again, it goes back to the doing it yourself for a guy doing it himself, literally himself. It's it's really good. It seems like uh, the horror genre uh, draws a lot of good independent and DIY, uh, or, oh, yeah. if not good in the, all the aesthetic senses of good, uh, you know, draws a certain spirit that people yes, have sir. about wanting to, to make films and more mm -hmm. so, you know, it seems like than other uh, than other genre of film. Yep, yep. It's just you uh, You have an idea. You have, a, 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 I don't want to say a passion because that sounds kind of hackney, but it's true. You have a desire to do something. And nowadays, it's a, probably a lot easier than it was in the days when you had to film, get it on film and then develop the film. Nowadays, with, uh, with even your phone, you can make a movie on your oh, phone. Yeah. yeah. And it's really just a matter of, of getting up and doing it. And that's, that's the hard is taking that first step of doing. Well, that's great. And it's great to, uh, to have you and to, you know, kind of be sharing in, in that sure. passion. Um, and, uh, and I feel like, um, you know, for me, uh, there's, when you watch uh, horror films, good ones, mm -hmm. bad ones, whatever, there's, there's the the pure kind of joy and sort of of being uh, sometimes being scared, sometimes mm -hmm. getting get, having an experience like that. Sure. And then there's also that you know often these films have a lot of important things to to kind of say in an in an right. offhand way or in mm -hmm. a in a very you know kind of critical way uh, sure. about society, about the yes, future, sir. about uh, human foibles. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah, in fact, one of my uh... Like the blob, if you blob was, you know, some people say the blob was about the spread of communism in the United States. And so, uh, which I didn't think would have been such a bad thing, but uh, that's what the blob, that's what folks say the blob was about. There was always like a hidden social message. Okay, right. like Night of the Living Dead. Night oh, and this, Dead. yeah, I was going to say, especially, would you say in the 50s and 60s, although oh, yeah. it goes on. I mean, I think mm -hmm. people are still making really important, mm -hmm. important Absolutely. statements with their work. Mm -hmm. Well, let's jump right into what sure. your favorites are. And I have a feeling that, uh, you know, that that it, it's well, I actually I, I actually I've been I've been wondering, you know, last yeah. night I was like, I wonder what his top five is going to sure. 
uh, is going to look like. So let's just jump into it. Okay. These are the, these are literally, this is true. These are the five films that my family and I uh, watch every year around Halloween or getting up close to Halloween. And number five is a movie called A Bucket of Blood, which came out in 1959. And it was directed by a fellow named Roger Corman. And it starred Dick Miller and future game show host, Burt Convy. And it's about a waiter. Ultimately, it's about a waiter who wants to be an artist. He works in a coffee house and he's surrounded by beatnik poets and sculptors and artists. And he wants to be one, too. And it's full of undercover cops and drug addicts and ne'er-do-wells. And it was shot in only five days. And it's the way that the character, that Dick Miller's character becomes an artist. That's the secret of the movie. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But I will say this. If you haven't seen A Bucket of Blood yet, Call your boss and tell her you're not going to be at work today because you have to stay home and watch that movie and she'll understand. It is a great movie. It was only shot in five days at a minuscule budget, but Corman made a great movie in a short amount of time. Okay, the next one we watch every year is called, uh, is called Werewolf of London, and it came out in 1935, which is what, 85 years ago? It was uh, Universal Studios, directed by a fellow named Stuart Walker. And it was really one of the first werewolf, wolfman type movies. And it was one of the first to show the actual mythology of the werewolf, you know, getting bit, getting bitten by one turns you into one. And at the full moon made you turn into the werewolf. It's got some great scenes. Now, it didn't do very well at the box office. And it was, wouldn't say it was a flop, but it wasn't a huge success. But in 1941, the same studio made The Wolfman starring Lon Chaney Jr. And that became the big, big success. And a lot of folks think that was, you know, one of the first werewolf movies, but it really wasn't. It was Werewolf of London about six years before. That one's not in public domain and that one might be a bit hard to find. But if you can find it, it's well worth your time. And if you've ever seen a video for the Misfits hybrid moments, where it's the one that's to cobble together all the horror movie scenes. There's a few scenes from that movie uh, mixed into that film. Next movie we watch every year is called Homicidal, and it came out in 1961, and it was directed by the great William Castle. To be honest, it was a psycho knockoff. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho came out in 1960, and Castle made this movie a year later, and it's almost the same movie. But Castle was famous for what he called gimmicks, and in this movie, he had a gimmick called the Fright Break. Check this out. Just before the big reveal, when you're getting close, the camera's getting close to the house and you're about to see the big shocking, scary moment, Castle paused the film and he did a voiceover and he showed a clock on the screen counting down. And he said, you have 45 seconds to make up your mind. Do you want to see this or do you want, are you too scared? If you're too scared, get up and go now. And if you go to the lobby, we'll give you your money back. The catch was you had to sit in what was called the coward's corner, and it was a table with a booth set up and a nurse there to tend to you because you were so frightened. Holy fucking great- shit. I've never yeah, heard it- of this. I've never heard about this. It was a great gimmick. And he also did a movie called Mr. Sardonicus, who was uh, he was like a torturer, an evil man. And it looked like Mr. Sardonicus was going to get his comeuppance and he was going to get his just rewards. But again, Castle paused the movie and would come on and he would take a vote in the audience. He would say by a show of hands, should he get away with it or should he be punished? He did the tingler, which was where he put uh, like buzzers in the certain seats, mm-hmm. which would tingle at certain times. He was great for coming up with, with gimmicks. And there's a movie with John Goodman called Matinee, which is loosely based on William Castle. And the kind of because Castle knew, you know, it's I got to get people into the theater and I'm doing a story that they've probably seen before. But if I can give that little 
bonus that gets people in and makes them want to see this and gets buzz around. And he knew that that was the best way to go. And it worked. Next film, and this is a sentimental favorite for a lot of reasons, and it's uh, called Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's mm-hmm. 1959, written and directed by the great Ed Wood. And uh, folks who haven't seen it, if there's any of those out there, here's what happened. Ed Wood was a friend of Bela Lugosi, and he had a few minutes of footage of Bela Lugosi in his Dracula outfit running around the graveyard and walking around his house. And he knew that someday he would be able to use it. So he got the opportunity when he made Plan 9 from Outer Space, but he had the problem that was a, looked to be a big problem that Bella was dead. So what he did is he just found a double who was about a foot taller and about 20 years younger. Kind of looks like so, you. Yeah, he did. <laughs> what was his name? Foot. Tom something? I can't remember. Yeah, 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 he was a chiropractor. He was a chiropractor in Beverly Hills. And so uh, they said, well, how are you going to do this, Ed? And so he just had Bella, had Tom cover his face. And he probably seen the movie Ed Wood which Johnny Depp, now that's not a, you know, that's not a, that's not exactly how it happened, mm-hmm. but it's pretty close. It was funded by a Baptist church. He did get a lot of his friends agree to be baptized so they could get the money to make the movie. And the original title was called Grave Robbers from Outer Space. And, but the Baptist didn't like that. So he changed it to Plan 9 from Outer Space. And you were talking earlier about a social context and, you know, deeper meaning. I think a convincing argument could be made to say that the, Plan 9 is actually about the arms race and about how we're producing more and more deadly weapons. And one day we're going to produce a weapon deadly enough to destroy the whole universe. And that's what the aliens came down here to stop. Uh, Ed Wood also made a movie called Glenn or Glenda. And that's, in my mind, clearly about transgender rights. And so he was he was well ahead of his time. And he uh, he uh, Frank Conniff from Mystery Science Theater wrote in his book that Ed Wood might not have had the talent of an artist, but he had the soul of an artist and the heart mm-hmm. of an artist. Mm-hmm. And I think Frank Frank says in his in one of his books that if you if you were in high school at lunch, you would want to sit at Ed Wood's table because that would be the fun table and that would be the place you wanted to be. And the number one movie that we deliver that we make an effort to watch every year probably watch it a couple of times a year is the creature from the black lagoon which came out in 1954 starred two people playing a creature it had a guy named ben chapman who played him on the ground and a fellow named rico browning who played him in the water and the interesting thing about that is that chapman scenes were filmed in california and rico's were filmed in florida and they never met and they didn't meet till like 20 years later at a convention where they finally met each other and used to be a thing here called creature fest in Florida, which was filmed. It was, took place in Wakulla Springs, which is uh, just outside of Tallahassee. And that's where some of the water scenes were filmed. And every year when uh, Rico Browning and uh, Chapman would show up and you could see the movie where it was filmed and you could talk to the guys and it was a great time. So those are my top five. Uh, <laughs> they may not everybody's favorites, but there are, sentimental to me and my family and I, I we we love them and you said well werewolf in london is still uh somebody has the rights to it still and so it might be tough for people to acquire i think i think it's still i think universal still owns the copyright and so you you may be able to find someone some good soul who's uploaded it onto youtube but uh, i believe that it's still in, in copyright interesting uh and, and uh i i have a I have a theory about plan nine uh, mm-hmm. that is that I can't believe I'm the only one who's thought of this. Um, but uh, do you remember the, the scene in um, 
Night of the Living Dead, where there it's an interview. It's a, a, t- yeah. a TV news spot, scene, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, where they're asking the uh, uh, you know the, this government official, uh, mm-hmm. does this have anything to do with those satellites, or does this have anything uh-huh. to do with those things that were launched? Right. And for some reason, and I think that it was just because I had been watching those two films sort mm-hmm. of around each other at the time, and I just thought, well, that's Plan Nine, right? It's reanimation yeah. from the dead coming from outer space. And so I had this, you know, wild, you know, thought. I might have been a little intoxicated at the time when I had the <laughs> thought, but I had this this idea that, uh, you know, wonder if uh, if George Romero, uh, you know, had maybe had sort of had that in mind or something because it's I bet you're like right there's this weird you know kind of bridge so if anyone yeah. listening to this has also thought of that or seen any you know sort of other people thinking about it then uh they should uh they should email me and let me know because absolutely because uh, it seems you know it, it, it seems like a, a salient connection to make in any in i any think so case. i um, think you're right what apart from the sort of social significance of mm-hmm. plan nine what what do you like about it i like the fact that he he reminds me of, this is probably sound, I don't want, might not come out the way I mean it, but it's not, it reminds me of me and my friends when we, when we sure. wanted projects done, you know, we like when we do some of our shows, our episodes, they feature our families. Ed Wood got his friends and got his, he didn't go out and get the best actors he could find. He got just people he knew. And so, and that's, what's great about it. I'm going to do this no matter what happens. If I can't get the money, I'm going to steal the money. I'm going to find the money. I'm not going to let anything stop me. And I guess it's his, eternal optimism that I'm going to see this project through. If it, it takes me 10 years, it takes me 10 years, but I'm going to get this done. And tenacity and, and yes. all, of that, all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you had said, you know, you, you've said now a couple of times, you know, he, uh, you know, people would be sitting at his table if he were, you know, your high school mm-hmm. uh, friend or, uh, or he had this entourage of people and the movie yep. seems to make that but also if you you know if you look at his life it seems to bear that out that he sure, sure. you know definitely had this you know he he would he had a uh, 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 it was always you know uh, a party at Ed's place making movies yep. Yep, um, exactly. and uh, and so you know he must have been um, a interpersonally you know an interesting and compelling uh, and and welcoming person, I think, for a, a lot of people that were sort of at the margins of Hollywood, uh, marg- you know, they were at the margins of the business of the film yeah. business, or and or they were people on the margins of society in other ways. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's like a sort of clip in the movie Ed Wood, which again is not a hundred percent biographical, but it's when after the baptism the character that bill murray plays says how do you get your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie mm-hmm. and it was the level of things that they would do because you know they they may have believed in and they were probably hands who liked seeing their faces you know like seeing themselves on scan on camera but i agree with that too so i think it was i think he was just uh, i guess once you started talking it was probably hard to say no to him he could probably convince you that it would it was a good idea to to put these antenna on your head and dance around so. or to drop five or 10 grand to <laughs> make a film. Apparently he's able to do that a few, yes, sir. a few times uh, as well, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is uh, an enviable skill, right? Sure. Yeah. He made, he made some really, you know, Bride of the Monster is really good. So he's a really, mm-hmm. Edward's important. Uh, years ago and this was back in say 97, my uh, wife was my girlfriend at the time and my, my friend, Mike, we went as he went as Tor Johnson. I went as Doctor Eric Varnoff, and my wife went as Vampira. Oh we wow! As, I wish to God there was digital cameras back then or some photographs of that, but uh, I don't think any photos exist of it. But we had a it was a nice time. 
So what about you? What's your favorite? What's your favorite movie? Uh, you know, it's that's that's really hard. Uh, so people will ask me what my favorite album is uh, yeah, band. Exactly. And I will say, uh, you know, now I say it really conscientiously because before it was I was doing it unconsciously. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's typically a contemporary band uh, yep. or someone that's just coming out with new music. And I love mm -hmm. new things. And so I finally realized after you know, studying aesthetics, actually formally studying it, yeah. and then also being, you know, in the midst of, uh, of so many different, you know, kinds of art, um, mm -hmm. that my favorite art at any given time is the one that's or the best art for me is the, mm -hmm. is the stuff that someone is making somewhere right now. Yeah. Uh, and so I really, I, I will enjoy these, you know, new waves um, of, uh, of horror films. And I can't remember all of the titles uh, mm -hmm. right now. Uh, but, you know, I'm also a Lovecraft fan. And so yep. I really liked uh, what they did with Color Out of Space. I, in fact, <laughs> I, I feel like Color Out of Space um, is the exorcist of Lovecraft movies. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. the other thing is that Phantasm was a movie that was wholly unlike mm -hmm. uh, what that was of the of the style of those movies that were being made in the late seventies, but was wholly unlike it, um, was conceived of and sort of treated as this sort of long dream sequence. Um, and then evolves into this series of science fiction, essentially science fiction movies, sure. fantasy, you know, fantasy sort of sci-fi movies with, you know, less and less of an element of explicit horror. And another thing about Phantasm is we, uh, I mentioned that we did the film fest. We showed that one year at our film fest and it was nice to see, this was probably 2005 or so. The theater closed, I think in 20 and 2007, but when we showed Phantasm, it was so nice to see what, you know, what we call younger people who had never heard of this movie or never seen these movies before to show up and see these movies for the first time, a younger generation to some of these films that they might have otherwise never have come across. Any kind of projects you're doing now? Anything interesting that's well, coming up? COVID-19 and the coronavirus hasn't helped us. We were, I wrote season three already and we were about to start filming, but the student, we film at the junior, at the junior colleges, studio wsre and so we're shut down we did film a halloween episode and so we had to do it social distancing but i did come up with a way to film that and that's going to be aired halloween i don't know when it'll be put online most of our episodes are online except the ones that we've had a copyright challenge on which is unbelievable because these films are clearly in public domain mm -hmm. but then you, you find out that they're not in public domain in estonia or somewhere like that so. sure yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, chip chisholm is a co-host and writer of nightmare theater uh mm -hmm. in florida and mm -hmm. uh also did frankenstein's bloody nightmare and is just a, a horror advocate there Thank you. Uh, yes, in florida and it's been great having you and uh yes. let's uh let's find excuses to do uh to do more of these absolutely um, i can't imagine a better way uh and so i found this recipe for uh meatloaf and it like it was really weird because the recipe was just like a regular meatloaf recipe like at no point did it refer to like the picture which was like somebody had like shaped the meatloaf like a zombie head like and made it like look really creepy and but like the recipe doesn't reference that at all which I just thought was like weird and kind of funny um but anyway so I decided to make make this meatloaf uh and I feel like it turned out pretty slamming actually. Like 
I mean, it's hard to fuck shit up when you're wrapping it in bacon, I guess. Uh, like, yeah, that was definitely the most crucial sounding part to me that I had right, anticipated. The bacon. Yeah, the bacon, yeah. bacon, the bacon wrapped anything is gonna the make bacon. it. Uh huh. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I actually, you know, this was interesting too because, like, it called for like regular, like regular thin slice bacon, and then we only have thick slice bacon. And so I just like use that instead. But I actually, and normally I'm just like thick slice bacon all the way is always better, except for maybe in this case, because like, I think that like it would have crisped up more, you know what I mean? If it was uh, thin, thin. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Like, like the thickness was an inhibitor to the crispiness right. in this or, situation. Or I need, yeah. Or if I was going to do it again, I would like pre-cook the bacon probably like part way, you know? Um, anyway, so, but yeah, I basically followed the recipe except for the meat because it called for some like bougie ass combination of like, like ground chuck and lamb and venison or veal or something. Veal, I think it was mm. like lamb. Veal. I don't know. It was just, I was like, who the fuck? No, like we're, right. we're like basic low-income white people and we're going to use Jimmy Dean's breakfast sausage instead of that shit. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was actually thinking about this, about the substitutions, right? So if somebody mm-hmm. was going to yeah. make the zombie meatloaf, you the things that you did differently would be the thicker bacon, right? So you had some thick yeah. bacon. Um, mm-hmm. You substituted rich people for the veal. Is that right? Is that what I heard you say? <laughs> <laughs> Like, thank you. Thank you for laughing at that one. Thank you for laughing. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or ground beef, like whatever, whatever you have on hand. Right. Right. I think, I think you want like half, like in half and half, you like, you want half ground beef and half something else. I think is like a good, you know, like too much fashion. Sausage, rich, rich people, you know, whatever. Exactly. Not too much fascist. The part, the ratios of fascist to, to other meat uh, for the so, right proportions. Calling. So this, this like brings us though to like what, so like part of why I liked, th- wanted to do this recipe because I've been listening to um, the Red Nation podcast and also the Red Power Hour, which is like an offshoot of the Red Nation and they've been doing like Halloween themed episodes and talking about like horror movies and how it relates like like indigenous representation in horror movies, but also like how like uh, how it relates to like white supremacy, right? And like settler colonial settler like culture and stuff. And it's interesting because like right, like white supremacy always accuses people of doing like what it's doing right or like what you know like what those people oh like, yeah yep. you know what I mean it's, it's like a projection or like a, I'm gonna accuse you so it looks like I am not doing that thing and like so, so they're always they're always like you know making movies where like right like the bad guys or the zombies or the can't like it or like a, 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 um, assigning things like cannibalism right to like quote savage you know like indigenous groups or or whatever and so they were were talking about how like actually like really the most cannibalistic societies 
if you think about it as like settler colonial society, because, you know, it's just, it's constantly right about like extracting and like, you know, like making, making the things that it steals into like something for its own like use or glorification, which is like, well, yeah, I mean, like, capitalism is based on exploitation of, like, you know, it's it's the idea of, like, mm-hmm. selling, like, you can sell your body in any way you want to. We just, we just happen to sell it in a way where it's alive still. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. It, the idea of, like, consumption and having to, to consume and, like, what, what keeps you that idea of, like, survival. Uh, mm. Yeah, gross gross thank you for making that super scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and then like too yeah like the thing you like you say about like we just sell our or we just like yeah like sell our our bodies while they're still alive or whatever like actually also reminds me like of another thing like this they were talking about also like the ways that capitalism makes uh makes like the the underclass or whatever into zombies like they were talking about uh like one of the people on the podcast was talking about how like the mines nearby where they grew up and they would like refer to or like talk about like the the white miners as like zombies because they just looked like I mean they just didn't like shower very much and like where I guess like if you're a miner you're just like well I'm just gonna get disgusting again tomorrow I don't know but like, you know what I mean? How and, these, and they just were worked like, you know, until they were just like half dead, right? Like, and how the origin of of zombie actually zombies actually comes out of like African slaves in the Caribbean or people who are enslaved in the Caribbean, like trying to make sense of and like have some kind of like framework for this sort of like right, like just like this half alive feeling of like when when all you do is work right and there's nothing else I think it's really interesting too exactly what you're saying of this idea of um we uh, we have to be zombies in order to continue to exist in this system and not revolt right Right. the, the system requires us to be half alive otherwise anyone fully alive would not submit to this sort of half living um in this sort of state and so Mm -hmm. that's a very interesting representation again chillingly Mm -hmm. like um accurate right chillingly like like very scarily correct I don't know how and I'm like now that I'm thinking about it too like I'm thinking about all of these like uh like I read a thing the other day that was talking about how like the um like when capitalism was like first like coming into being like they they the capitalists like basically did all this stuff to like make it so that the self-sufficient peasants who were like hunting and totally supporting themselves like similar you know in similar ways to to how you know indigenous people here did you know did the same Mm -hmm. like subsistence like living in like harmony Mm -hmm. with you know the the land around them and they like made it so that they had to like they had no other choice like they just basically like destroyed their livelihood so that they would have to go and like work in these awful factories and become these sort of like Mm -hmm. you know and and so it's just like yeah it's like actually it's like over and over that like capitalism just like zombifies you only now they've separated right like that 
that life of like actually like being able to support yourself and like being you know having some some freedom and like being able to spend time that's like not on work like is so far behind us like that we don't even remember it anymore you know and so like and that like is like ensures the the like zombification right like mm-hmm. yes it absolutely does because the for the more you separated you are from it um mm-hmm. yeah you don't you there's nothing to go back to I mean it's it's the mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it's the systematic annihilation of the public education system if nobody mm-hmm. knows like you know what I'm saying like there's no yeah. it's fine it's fine uh nobody knows what anything is anyway nobody knows mm-hmm. what real learning looks like regardless and so there's nothing nobody can right. complain uh about a lack of I mean they can but they but nobody knows what we're just all we're just all shooting and shouting into the wind about whatever right because we don't actually know we don't actually have a real frame of reference of what that looks like anymore right we don't know Mm -hmm. we've been we've been (laughs) zombified I love it well this is this is interesting interesting. like did we ever because uh like um Mm. that like (sighs) I was I oh shit and this is why I need to like be better like other people. And this is like at writing notes and stuff because I like half remember things. Right. And then I can't like, uh, probably, but basically that was, that was the idea that we've only actually been trying to educate everybody for like not a very long time. And it's like still actually in terms of history, like a very, like in the current way we do it, like a very new, uh, like ex- experiment or whatever uh-huh, and like uh-huh. previous previously like education was for like wealthy uh people in like in settler colonial society and so like or or in like you know european society and like um that yeah it's still and then so we like because it's so new and because we don't actually know like you were saying like what what real learning looks like it's super easy for the system to just like co-op or for capitalists to like just co-opt the education system to to make their zombies right like yeah the meatloaf was good and if you're into like uh more um more talk about like the zombie-ness and like how it relates to, Mm. to capitalism like definitely recommend uh like listening to those uh those recent halloween episodes from the red nation and red power hour because like they Right, like I'm just basically like regurgitating, like, uh-huh. or, like, or, like what, what I like gleaned from listening to those episodes. And so, like, obviously, like their analysis and like conversations are way like deeper and richer. And so, like, if this was like in any way interesting, like, go please go actually listen to 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 their their podcast because it's like way better. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll just say I really appreciate that too uh, because like yeah it's important to say the source and um, and direct people to the best resources that you're aware of as well right that we know of right. um, to yeah. be able to continue to learn and grow together so mm-hmm. um, that's awesome yeah completely gratuitous is the house were they in the cemetery it's the cemetery adjacent to this giant mortuary and funeral home. The great Reggie Bannister on the right. Great thing about these actors is they 
kept doing all the films. And so you get to see them like 30 years later, real time, 30 years later. Right, right. They grew still up. playing the characters who grew, playing themselves as they grew up. Right. And it's really cool kind of evolution. The last one in the series is from the 2000s, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like very recent or seems like pretty recent. Shouldn't be riding around in the cemetery, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not really upset like, that he rapped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in that sense, the... The tall man was just being a good steward right, of the yeah. cemetery. Michael, they really wants to play a little game. Wow, how'd you do that? Put your hand in the box. What is this, the Gamjabar? Just put your hand in the black box. That's all I'm asking. What's in it? Hey, this thing really hurts. Don't fear, Michael. I can't get my hand out. Don't fear. You bite my hand. Don't fear. It is the Ganja Bar. feeling that they would have played longer if the director would have allowed it. There's the theme again on the jukebox. And there was also a gratuitous shot of Jody's ass in that. Pretty good for someone who just ran and chased a car. This scene freaked me out when I was like 13 or whatnot. Just walking down with the lollipop? 11. I was 11 when this movie came out. And I saw it in the theater, even though I was way too young to see it. Right. More incredible music and sound. Tall, man. scary thing about so much of this takes place during the day it's uh it's day horror yeah yeah and the ice cream man it's yeah this that's an amazing scene visually Getting, what is he, some sort of warlock? Yeah, he is a he is a warlock. And, okay. And he's creepy ass, chaotic evil, so much in motherfucking warlock. He not just a warlock though, it, it, it he's it turns out to be kind of a, a time wizard. Yeah. And and there's ends up being time travel in those future films and all this stuff. You get a hold of something you couldn't handle? Yeah. Yep. She just ditched out on me, I guess. <laughs> He's actually getting under. She's not really smart. Nobody's really smart that, yeah, in these movies. Really smart in this movie. Yeah. It's not tubular bells, but it might as well be. 
they're not really smart and you care about and we you care about them a lot like you start to really be invested in they're street smart except not they're really not street smart at all oh this is spectacular and then that unbelievable i had never seen anything like this Death by Silver Spear. And what is that? Piss? Yeah. Because it can't he be pisses blood. Himself. It's not a detail you see too often. The fact that they always do this alone. It's just a bad decision after bad decision. It's very kind of American. At some point in time, you just want them to die. <laughs> You made so many bad choices. No, I never want them to die. Yeah, I I I, I love them. They 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 make terrible choices and they're like really nice. They're nice people. Nice people making bad decisions. Yeah, more so than I think in other films. Like more none of the Trump. none of the main characters are like really deeply f- flawed people, other than their. Stu- their stupidity. Phantasm is a movie about silver balls and bad choices. It's silver balls and bad choices. What we gotta do is we gotta snag that tall dude and stomp the shit out of him and we'll find out what the hell is going on up there. Yeah, we'll lay that sucker out flat and drive a stake right through his goddamn heart. You gotta be shitting me, man. That mother's strong. First intelligent thing. Yeah, exactly. That he does in the entire movie. Oh, it's a shotgun show. Alchemist. He's an alchemist. Yeah, I think warlock is probably the more appropriate description because wizards usually imply tomes and deep arcane levels of knowledge. This guy seems to draw on more just pure evil as his, you know, uh, wellspring of power. But he does need to drive his victims to the cemetery. Right, right, right. Yeah. I have a gun. Like, you couldn't have shot the guy in the head that was driving the hearse. I'm just saying. Look. Don't think about this shit. No, no, no. We technically have this on dual screens because I'm also looking at my little computer playing this as well. Whose crypt are you looking into? Your buddies? No, his parents. Oh, see if they got turned into Jawas. That's his kind of his motivation for coming back, although. He's probably, he probably would also like to find all his fucking friends that are now here. Right, right, right. 
So Here comes the ball. POV of the ball is pretty cool. Yes, indeed. No. This is a really good. Oh my god. Really good set. Told you. Very good. Yeah. That's a good shot right there. Good shot. Reggie always comes back, man. That's where they make the Jawas. Time to make the Jawas. <laughs> As I said, this is really a movie about sound. Can you imagine being in this movie and thinking, God, this is a, a weird movie and what a great story. This is a movie about sound. Mm -hmm. The tuning fork. Reggie taking one for the team. I wouldn't do it. Trying I mean, to yeah, stop whatever. the sound of the cosmic tuning fork. Uh, maybe, uh, Reggie, you, uh, should shut it off. So Morningside is a portal of some kind where they can take all the dead bodies of the people. I don't think the tall man makes the best choices really either. No. Nope. gone. It's really warm over here. And now you have to go back to my icebox. Because I don't like warm. Good old Angus Scrim. Let's go, Mr. Chewy. Come on. Good boy. Well, Derek, have a shitty night at work. Um... <laughs> <laughs>